you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast money, pump up the profits, pump up the profits. Energy investors striking liquid gold this year. And one technician sees even bigger gains ahead. We're drilling down on two names with much more room to run. Plus, even at 100, a handful of stocks more than doubling this year. So should you double down on these doubles? Find out in a game of trade it or fade it. And later, the Bitcoin pullback, but we have not one, not two, but three under-the-radar ways to play crypto. We're going to bring them to you. Welcome to Fast Money. I am Frank Holland in for Melissa Lee, getting a much-deserved day off. And tonight's trader lineup, it's something special. we got the godfather of this whole thing, Guy Adami's here, Stevie G. Steve Grasso, my brother in Cap Alpha Cyber Attorney Incorporated, Bono and Eisen, and the crypto baller, Brian Kelly. But tonight, we got to start with a question, and I mean this from the heart. Amazon, you good? Just take a look at these mega cap tech returns this year. Google up a stellar 67%, Microsoft surging 54%, and Apple up 35%, flirting with a $3 trillion mark, uh, valuation, I should say. But take a look at Amazon. That stock is just a bit stuck. It's been up less than 5% since the start of the year. So is Amazon Prime for a big turnaround in the new year? I got to go to the one, the only, Guy Adami. Happy holidays, Guy. Frank, listen, I'm sorry I wasn't here last night, but it is great to have you. Um, huge fan of yours, as you know. Listen, BK has been on this for quite some time. BK has said brilliantly that if Amazon can't perform in this environment, given everything that's uh, transpired, when is it going to? And he's been spot on in that. But I think 2022 could be the year. I think the reason why Amazon has lagged, I mean, it's basically gone sideways since the summer of 2020. Is the market finally sort of caught up to them in terms of valuation? You have 25% EPS growth, maybe trading it close to 70 times next year's numbers. But I do think, and a lot of people believe, that 2022 could be the year we break out to the upside. We've been building this space for quite some time. I think Barron's just called it one of their top picks for 2022. And I'll go out on a limb and say we're going to rally into earnings on February 3rd and take out those uh, recent all-time highs. All right, some bold predictions there. Brian, I'm going to go over to you since Guy mentioned you. i got to ask you a question because I know you're more on the, on the tech side of things. According to RBC, Amazon represents about 40% of the Internet. How do you properly value something like that when so much of that web traffic goes through them? Yeah, I mean, that, that's always the problem, right? Is, this, is Amazon a retailer or is it a tech play? And is Amazon Web Services your growth in, in, engine? If you look at it as a retailer and you say, hey, maybe this is as good as it's going to get. We had the great Amazon Recovery Act, which was the stimulus program that everybody got. All of Amazon's competitors were shut down. So on the retail side, they did really well. But now looking at the 22, I've got valuation, which Guy mentioned. I've got the potential of other people coming into the Amazon Web Services. Cloud is getting crowded. Microsoft is in there. So you've got a lot of headwinds on Amazon and a time where maybe it was as good as it gets. So, yeah, I understand. Listen, if we break out from this base, as Guy's suggesting, it's going to be a really big breakout. I'm just not convinced that that's going to happen. It seems to me that this is all we've got in the tank. You know, Steve, I've heard some analysts call Amazon like a digital utility, but utilities are up 12 percent this year. As we just mentioned, Amazon's only up five. Are, are you a believer in this stock making a big turnaround in 22? So 
you know, I, I, I could probably find, this is why I love this show. I love, I love listening to the show while I'm on the show as well. I could find a way to agree with Guy and a way to agree with BK. If you look at the stock off the pandemic lows, 1680 was the, was, uh, was the price of the stock. It's up 250% or it was up 250% at its highs. You've had years where Google underperformed. So Frank, you started off the show saying Google was up 67%. There was a year where Google drastically lagged all its other counterparts. This could be one of those years for Amazon. So is it as good as it gets? It bounced? Maybe it's being viewed as the ultimate stay-at-home stock and we've seen these, these stocks lose that tailwind, but also, let's not forget, they're becoming a poster child for a lot of this political angles that are they're aiming at it, the same way that Facebook used to be. There's wages, there's work conditions, there's a, a host of issues. Might be headwinds for Amazon going forward. So well, I, I think the way you prefaced it, could be right, and, and I agree with Guy. I think that you could see a catch-up trade. I don't know as short a term as Guy's talking about, but sometime next year this stock could come on. And remember, we have new leadership there, and it is the gentleman who ran AWS. And the reason why Amazon is trading at the level it is is because of AWS. Yeah, AWS obviously a big factor. I think we all found out just how big it was a couple weeks ago when it had an outage and a lot of sites were down. Bono, when I got to come to you, where are you at with Amazon? Are you seeing that big turnaround in 22? Yeah, I think I'm uh, slightly more constructive than some of the other panelists, and, and I'll tell you why. So uh, rewind back, call it 18 months ago, when we were talking about the, the, the initial transition uh, from, from large tech to large cap tech to overvalued tech and then into uh, the value play. And Amazon was heralded as a growth engine. And then we talked about the cash on balance, and that really hasn't changed. There's still $80 billion or so. Uh, on that balance sheet, still generating free cash flow. I believe last year was about $25 billion. So we're talking about a company that still has a fortress balance sheet. The difference now is that from growth, Amazon has now been identified as an area or, or a pocket of safety. And you really can't have it both ways. You're going to have a situation where you're able to kind of like park money there and trust that it's still going to perform, or you're going to invest for growth and outperformance. And you've seen just how how punished those companies have been in terms of like the upper end of that risk spectrum. So for me, it's still a ubiquitous name. It's still a strong financial. It still has strong financials. And I think Amazon is poised. It's ubiquitous amongst all types of uh, you know, retail or, or any other type of business. So no, I think you, you keep it as a core holding and you just understand that it's not going to have the same outperformance, mm -hmm. but it's going to have lower beta. So it's not going to have the same underperformance either. Yeah, it's a good point about the volatility. Steve, I want to come back to you one more time before we move on. You mentioned it as a stay-at-home stock. Is that what Amazon is? And, and how do you value or kind of account for its delivery ambitions as well? One of the fastest-growing logistics operations probably in the world. Yeah, so I do, I do see it as a stay-at-home stock. And what I like about it, to, to Bonoan's point, is that everyone changed their buying habits, whether it's a Costco or whether it's an Amazon Prime. People are in, that, are in Amazon pan, Pantry now, so they go auto uh, ordering a lot of bulk items through Amazon where they used to go out and buy it through Costco. So there's enough room for both of them to succeed, but when you look at their logistics outlook, they don't want to have to answer to anybody. So for them, they don't care about any, anything, and that's why they're making that investment uh, with Rivian as well, because now 
ultimate tech play, Frank. So you get everything that's sexy about Tesla, and Amazon is going to hold the keys literally to that as well. So I think uh, a shameless plug for Rivian, I'm, I'm, I'm long that name, but I think you're going to see some bright skies ahead for Amazon. And you know what? Last point, I've always built Amazon as an ETF. It has everything you need in the marketplace, the same way that Berkshire used to be for the market participants. Amazon is its, its own ETF. You could just own one stock and own the market. Wow, a lot there, a lot there. Big believer in, in pretty much every part of the business. Guy, before we move on, I want to come to you one more time. I know you're a big believer in valuation and looking at stocks that way. We just showed Amazon uh, 86 times forward earnings. Walmart, I'm looking at it right now, 21, Target 17. Does Amazon provide enough with Amazon Web Services? Because they have similar, kind of similar retail businesses to, to justify that valuation. I think that's what the market's been struggling with, Frank, without question. I mean, that's been going on, as I mentioned, since last summer, July of 2020. I think the market's been trying to get their arms around exactly that. And if rates are going to rise, I'm sure we'll talk about that. You know, valuations become a bigger concern. I think it is justified. And I think as we get into the new year, you'll see inflows into the name for the first time, maybe in quite some time, into earnings in early February. So I'm a believer of the story. By the way, we have seen sideways action like this in Amazon before. Go back to early 2018 and look at what the stock did over the course of about 15 months or so until you saw a subsequent breakout. I think that's what we're seeing right now. All right, moving on. If we're looking, if you if you are looking for a winning playbook in 2022, we're doing a lot of playbooks here on CNBC. Our next guest says underweight tech and target target cyclicals. Victoria Fernandez, the chief market strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Victoria, happy holidays. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So everything's bigger in Texas. I know you're down there in Texas. This is a, the first half of your thesis is a big departure from what I'm hearing from a lot of people. You're saying underweight tech. Now, keep in mind, I, I, our Mike Santoli actually put out an article just uh, yesterday or maybe two days ago that Microsoft and Alphabet alone are 20 percent of the gains in the S&P this year. How do you go underweight tech with that? Well, I think the important thing here is that you're not getting rid of your tech holdings. You're not getting rid of your growth holdings that you have at all. You're just balancing out your portfolio. So when you look at the early part of this year, we were overweight growth. We had all of those names. We were participating in the up, uh, upside of all of those names. But look, come around the summertime, we decided we needed to start trimming some of those names back and reinvesting into some of the more cyclical or value names because we do think going into 2022, even though growth will come down a little bit, even though earnings may not be quite as strong as what we saw this year, we think that people are underestimating what the fundamentals are going to be and that cyclicals will do well. So when we talk about the cyclicals, we look at some of the consumer discretionary names, but you have to be choosy. And financials is really the space that we hold uh, dearest to our heart going into next year and where we would actually um, put most of our efforts. Hey, it's, it's BK. So I got a question about the cyclicals because it's an interesting call. And, and, you know, I love a contrarian call. But if I look at the economy, things seem to be stalling out, slowing down a bit. I've got a Federal Reserve who has said to you, hey, listen, we're going to withdraw some liquidity, as well as the fact if inflation gets out of control, we are likely going to induce a recession, or at least that's the only tool that we have to, to reduce inflation. How, how does that fit into this cyclical play? 
Yeah, so BK, we're not completely on board, I think, with what the market is saying they think the Federal Reserve is going to do. I know everyone's talking about March being a live meeting. We're actually looking for it to be pushed back a little bit, maybe June. And I'm not going to totally rule out that the first hike isn't until the second half of the year, because I think what the Fed has done when they have increased the tapering is to give themselves some breathing room. Tapering ends around the end of March. That should be when the inflation numbers peak, when you look at year-over-year comparisons. So inflation will start to come down, and I think that's what the Fed is counting on and giving them a little bit of room. So, you know, the market usually continues to do well and move higher up until the first rate hike. So if history holds true here, you've got at least the first half of the year for the market to do well before we start to see some issues. And when you're looking at financials, we think the longer end of the curve needs to move higher. We think that financials are cheap to the rest of the market. They have strong balance sheets. There's potential for dividends to move higher next year. So when you look at some of those cyclical plays, focus on those financial names, and I think it will do well for your portfolio. So, Victoria, when you talk about cyclicals, I'm assuming you're talking about things like staples, consumer discretionary. Uh, I'm going to kind of follow up on Brian's question. Are you, are you concerned at all about inflation? We saw a core PCE at 4.7 percent, very high. Also, just some questions about supply chain when it comes to staples and discretionary. Yeah, so inflation, do we think inflation is going to be higher um, than where it has been historically, higher than that 2% level that the Fed was always targeting? Yes, we do think it's going to be higher than that. Do we think it's going to stay up where it is right now? No, we don't. We think some of the pressures that we're seeing from the supply side will start to come off. We think some of the year-over-year comparisons, so those base effects, will start to roll off. So you're going to have that number come down. Yes, you're going to have wages possibly continue to move higher and rents and housing move higher. So that's going to be your stickier part. Um, But we do think it'll come down from these high levels. So yes, more inflation, but not to the extent that we're seeing um, a lot of people say we're going to have for the rest of the year. All right, Victoria, great stuff as always. I appreciate it. All right, team, let's trade this guy. I'm going to come over to you first. Um, You know what? When she was talking, we actually put up the 10-year just a minute ago, 10-year right now at 1.484, but you're actually more uh, focused on the spread between the 10-year and the two-year. Yeah, Frank, and I, I want to be clear. I mean, there are a lot of people before me was bringing this up. You know, I've come around to this, though, that maybe looking at the 10-year is not the right thing to look at because I thought we closed the year at 2% in the 10-year. Here we are at 1.5%. But the two-year, which was 20 basis points or so in September, is now probably either side of 80 basis points. I can do that math, and I think it's going to continue to grind higher. So what I think you're seeing is, and I think BK will back me up on this, you're seeing inflation concerns on the front end, markets doing the job of the Federal Reserve and the back end saying, you know what, maybe the growth is not going to be as robust and that's not a particularly um, friendly environment for stocks. I don't think it's a problem right now. I think it's something we'll talk about next spring or so. And I happen to think that spread, which is probably 70 or so basis points now, I think it's going to get down to about 30 basis points and then we're going to have a problem. But that is absolutely something I think the market needs to keep an eye on as we get into the new year. So, Guy, are you saying we're over-assessing the 10-year and what it tells us? Do you think we should be looking closer at the two-year or just the spread? I think we should be looking. Look, I was looking at the 10-year for the longest time. I took my eye off the ball. I think we should be looking at the two-year in relation, obviously, to the 10-year. But the two-year is telling a story here. I mean, we're seeing a historic move in the course of a few short months from, again, 20 basis points to 80 basis points, as nobody's talking about, I don't think enough. So, yes, you should be looking at the two-year 100%, absolutely the spread, but don't look at the 10-year in a vacuum, which is something I've been doing until recently.
Bonwin, over to you. I mean, either you, you want to address what Guy's saying, you want to talk about what Vicky's saying, either or. Uh, I mean, I think Guy really hit the nail on the head here. I mean, I think this two-year is kind of telling you that that things are, are, are a bit less protracted than perhaps people have been worried about. And if you don't see that carryover from inflation concerns to the tenure, which is going to be more of a gauge of productivity and economic growth, then we have an issue. I will say, as a contrarian, though, that's going to be negative for stocks in mass. I don't think that situation necessarily isolates uh, growth as being a real concern, because you're probably going to extrapolate or discount based off of a 10 or five year or maybe even a further um, discount factor. So that two year, I, I do agree that the next pocket that I would look at is also the financials. I mean, that yield curve steepness is definitely going to, particularly for the money center banks and people that are making loans, things of that nature, that spread between like essentially where you're sourcing financing and where you're lending finances, financing affects everything from the housing market to money center banks to, I mean, financing and trading. So I think that is definitely a nice flag by guy. And I think uh, it is something to, to kind of um, keep an eye on there. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more tech right now. Kathy Wood, she hit the sell button, the manager of the ARK Innovation ETF, trimming a bunch of her big holdings. So is there more trouble for this trade? We're breaking it all the way down. Plus, high energy. The oil sector seeing some big gains this year, but where's it headed next? We're hitting the technicals when Fast Money returns. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at all those names in the red. That is Kathy, is Kathy Wood's sell list. The ARKK fund manager out trimming in a very big way. Let's get to our Bob Pisani with much more on those moves. Kathy Wood started the year as a bona fide superstar in the rarefied world of active stock picking. She ends the year still a superstar, but the ebb and flow of her flagship fund illustrates the danger of being an aggressive active stock picker. Among her largest holdings, Block, Coinbase, Unity Software, Zoom Video, all down more than 10% in December alone. Lesser declines for Twilio, Teladoc, Spotify, and a 3% decline for her largest holding, which is Tesla. Yesterday, Wood lightened up on many positions, selling stakes in most of her major holdings. Given how volatile the stocks she owns have been, holders of her flagship ARK Innovation Fund have been remarkably loyal. Since peaking in April with 201 million shares outstanding, there has been a slow but steady trickle of outflows. There's now 173 million shares outstanding. That's down 15% from that April peak, but that level has been fairly steady in the last few weeks. That is impressive loyalty, given the fund is down 21% this year and 38% off its 52-week high. It hit that way back in February. 
And that it also, remember, hit an intraday low for the year just a few weeks ago. Now, most of the major holdings also hit new highs earlier this year. All but Tesla are at least 30% off of their 52-week highs. So here's the bottom line. There's nothing wrong with Kathy Wood's line of reasoning. Disruptive technology companies will change the world. True enough. But when everyone buys into that argument and prices go through the roof for companies that currently make little or no profit, like Teladoc or Twilio or Spotify or Unity Software, or you have companies that trade for an enormous multiple to future earnings like Roku, Block, or Tesla, well, you're going to have some investors inevitably start questioning what the right price should be. Back to you, Frank. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Great insight there. All right, guys, let's trade it. Brian Kelly, I'm going to go over to you. Um, is the thesis broken or are the stocks just not performing right now with a lot of volatility? Obviously, Omicron, uh, the 10-year, I know we're saying it's not as important, but a lot of movement there that impacts a lot of those high-growth stocks. No, I don't think the thesis is broken at all. I mean, you know, if you talk to Kathy, she's talking about a five or 10 year horizon. And so, you know, this this has less to do about Kathy Wood's ability to pick stocks, which she's great at, and more to do with the madness of crowds. Now, if you happen to buy her ETF at a 52 week high, well, I don't know what to tell you. And you're selling it down at the lows. Again, that's going to be a problem. That has nothing to do with the thesis. That is just how how markets trade. So I don't think I don't think so at all. People bought into it. We got a little ahead of ourselves. Um, I, you know, I look at all those stocks that she's in. Every single one of them has the potential to completely change the industry that they're in. So you've got to think about it on that le- uh, period of time, a five to ten year horizon, and close your eyes on this one and not worry about the volatility. To cherry pick fifty two week highs and fifty two week lows seems a little ridiculous to me. All right, BK is saying that maybe people just got in at the wrong place at the 52-week high. Steve, I'm going to go over to you. Is there a chance also the world's changed? A lot of t- a lot of growth in these stocks has been when we were all locked down and thinking maybe this would always go on forever. But as we're seeing, whether you look at air, uh, airplane travel or whatever else, people are slowly but surely getting back to normal. Yeah, I don't think the world. I don't think these fit into that bucket of pandemic or stay-at-home or non-pandemic. These are. Uh, the future, and, and she's, it, it's, it's innovative by its nature. And we don't know what her uh, internal mandates are on, on, these, uh, on these ETFs as well, when she has to sell or when she has to buy. But I agree I, I, with BK. These are things, just remember when we were all in person and I was sitting next to her on the Fast Money desk, she was talking about Tesla before anyone even cared about Tesla. This is a woman who picks stocks uh, like like no other, but she's going to burn really hot and she's going to fizzle really loud. So she has a huge bandwidth of where her performance is going to fall with them. So take it with a grain of salt. If you're investing, as BK said, for a longer period of time, great. But a lot of these names can and will turn around. But I don't think you're going to see that happen in the first quarter of next year. So there could be more pain if you bought into these funds. Yeah, certainly some deep declines, and obviously it looks like a little bit of repositioning by Kathy Wood herself. Uh, but Kathy Wood, she's not the only one hitting the sell button. Check out the action in Abbott Labs and Lindy today. Those stocks moving in opposite directions. As Kramer says, it is time to ring the register. Jim's Charitable Trust trimming his position in both of those names. You can read all about it in today's Investing Club newsletter. Sign up right now on CNBC.com slash Investing Club or use the QR code on your screen. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. 
energized, and ready. The sector making some big gains this year. So can the climb continue? We're digging into the charts next. Plus, double trouble. A number of stocks doubling in 2021. So how should you play these big winners? The traders weigh in with a game of trade it or bait it. There's more Fast Money coming up. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. If you bet on energy at the start of 2021, congratulations, you picked the winning horse. Energy is the top performing sector in the S&P this year. The XLE up 48% in 2021. So here's the question. Would that momentum continue into 2022? Bono, I'm going to toss it over to you first. Do you see a setup for oil prices to continue rising higher? Do you see a setup for energy to continue being the strongest sector? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of looping back to Guy's point earlier, if that two-year continues that climb, I mean, I, I think it's telling you about inflationary pressures, and typically commodities do well in that environment specifically. Again, the caveat is that I would keep an eye on that 10-year, and that doesn't bode as well. But, I mean, we're talking 10 years out at that point. So, yes, I think in the short term, we had the um, strategic reserve release, which kind of led to that downtick. But there's been some dis- some supply disruptions in some of the OPEC nations, Libya and Nigeria specifically. So I think that has led to a bit of bullishness. The real question is how to play it. And when you look at USO or USO, UNG, USO specifically, I really don't think that that gives you the correlate that you really want. So you're going to have to find a tertiary way or ancillary way to kind of get exposure to that. And I think the the integrated and the servicer is probably set up the best there. There has been some laggard um, effect there. And I think that you will probably start to see that trade catch up as people look for ways to continue to gain exposure and and leverage to the subsector. Tertiary, a word you don't hear enough. Uh, Guy, over to you. Do you see that momentum continuing as well? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. First of all, it's a great word. Second, I'm with Bonwin on this one. And look, I, I thought crude would be triple digits by the end of the year. That's not happening. But to Bonwin's point, that SPR release sort of coupled with this new variant in late November, I think that took the wind out of the sails of the crude trade. But the wind is back, and it's a huge tailwind, and I think it's going to continue to ratchet higher. You look at the OIH quickly, you know, we cratered into August down to 168 or so, had a big bounce. We cratered again, seemingly held that level, and then you start breaking it down. A name like Halliburton with probably close to 55% EPS growth is just too cheap at these levels. I mean, I think you make a pretty compelling argument that Halliburton should be a $30 stock, if not higher. So I love the energy trade into 2022 for sure. Guy, you're not the only one. Our next guest says oil will continue to pump profits in the new year. 
and has one name you might just want to bet on. Let's bring in Katie Stockton of Fairlead Strategies. Happy holidays, Katie. You too, you too. You know, I think with crude oil prices that we've seen this corrective phase and now advancing from it, I don't know if we can pump profits, as you say, but I do think that we'll see some good short-term upside follow-through here for the equity sector or the the subsector, because you've seen some underperformance. They're relatively oversold. And now with WTI crude oil having cleared its 50-day moving average, there is room to next resistance, which is roughly $82 per barrel, and that's about 8% above current levels. So I think there's room for short-term upside. Long-term momentum is still there. However, we do fear that we'll see a corrective phase for the equity market beginning around the middle part of January. And I don't think that the energy sector will be unaffected by that. So we have more of a neutral bias beyond the very near term, and we'll just take it as it comes. All right. Thanks a lot, Katie. All right. Let's trade it. Uh, Guy, I'm going to come back over to you. Uh, Katie, looking at the technicals there, I know you're very bullish on uh, energy and oil in general. Are you seeing the setup the same way she's seeing it? 100 percent. And look, again, I'll be the first to say I, I never saw it, thought we'd see the move we saw to the downside. But it makes sense in retrospect, given the variant, given what was happening globally, and then obviously given the SPR release. But, you know, they fired that uh, round of ammunition. I don't think they're going to use it again. And I think you're going to be surprised at how quickly crude's going to run in the new year. So I'm absolutely with Katie on this one. And I think you look at the most levered names. Now, it's not the OIH. It's names like PSX and, and names like that. But I think there's safety in some of these oil service names, specifically Halliburton. You know what? Um, you guys are this bandwagon is getting a big crowd. I'm going to throw somebody else on this bandwagon with you guys. The EIA, their forecast is for Brent to basically double in 2022 from about 79 a barrel today to 186 a barrel. Steve, I'm going to go back over to you. I know you're you're someone who believes Omicron is going to kind of be a speed bump and the recovery is going to get going a little faster after that. When do you see our demand for oil really picking up and things, quote unquote, air quotes, getting back to normal? Yeah, so, so the problem with that is there, a lot of this uh, inflationary uh, tailwinds have been based on supply chain constraints. So I think that as we see us getting back to normal, you're going to see people use more, of course, but you're also going to see the, those bottlenecks dissolve. So it's going to be a, a little bit of a, a, a tipping point. It'll probably balance each other out. I'm more in the camp that, that, uh, that crude will probably uh, just get back into that trading range between the mid-60s and, and mid to high 80s. Um, having said that, the XLE has done nothing for five years, Frank. So if you want to be in this trade, who is going to benefit more if the price of oil stays right here? EMP companies. Mm. They're going to, to explore. They're going to produce. So you buy the ETF, the XOP. That's up 68%. That's up 68%. And uh, amongst the constituents of that, you have it. It's muted and it's not dependent on one stock. Yes, that's certainly a good name, up 68%. But I'm going to bring Katie back. And we actually teased this, that she has a name that she's actually suggesting that we get in. She's going to walk us through that trade. Well, it's actually more of a natural gas play, really. It's Williams Company, so WMB, very oversold. And we're noticing that in Williams and also its peer KMI or Kinder Morgan, there are signs of downside exhaustion based on something called the DeMarc indicators. These are countertrend short-term tools that suggest that we'll see a nice relief rally for this space and there and also a relief rally for natural gas. XOP, we agree with that there is 
very much room for a relief rally there as well. So we are bullish this space, but again, more short-term oriented. William seems like a good way to play it. So Guy, oh, number one, thank you, Katie. I appreciate the insight. Guy, coming back over to you, I know you're a big fan of this space. Are you in on WMB? I think KMI is a more interesting play. I'm not suggesting that WMB's not, but KMI and Peter's fast pitch just a number of times. I think he's on the show tomorrow night, and I'm sure he can wax poetic, but you've seen uh, Mr. Mr. Kinder buying back stock hand over fist. That's something, obviously, we like to see. And valuation just makes sense. So, again, these are downstream plays that have not done anything in a while, but I think are ready for the next leg higher as crude moves higher early next year. Coming up here on Fast Money, the Double Club. Big names making some big moves this year, but are they still worth holding? The traders, they're going to give you your, their two cents with a game of traded or faded. That's coming up next. Plus, some crypto carnage. Bitcoin heading south and erasing all of his gains this week. But one of our traders has a few under-the-radar plays in the crypto space. We're going to bring you those names coming up next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. As we ran out a record 2021, let's just dig into some stocks that have really impressed this year. We're talking three different stocks in three different industries, Ford, NVIDIA, Moderna. They all have one important thing in common, more than doubling year to date. So now as an investor, is it worth doubling down? What better way to decide than a game of trade it or fade it? Let's start off with Moderna. The stock up 130% since the start of the year. Guy, trade it or fade it? One of my favorite games, Frank, and I'm going to play it correctly for a change. I'm going to fade it. And you mentioned how much it's up for the year. But let's talk about the move over the last couple of months. I mean, this stock has got cut in half, I think, since the summer. Now, let me tell you, I was bullish on the same for a long time. But what I've come to realize is the bloom is off the rose I think you're going to start to see analysts downgrade the name. At a certain point, it's going to be a valuation play. Not yet. I think it has a chance to trade down 180 bucks. BK, what's your take? You know what? At 180 bucks, I'd be a buyer of that. I'm, a, I'm trading it here, which means buy in this game. And you know, I, I, let me give you a couple of the reasons why here. So number one, it is 50% off the high. So now I've got a stock with year-over-year momentum, but has come down. Why has it come down? Because we all thought that the, the, uh, the mRNA vaccines would be a one-and-done type of thing. That's what people priced in. Well, now we're in, the, we're in the endemic stage. So we're going to continue to use this. Not only that, this technology can be used for other diseases. So in the long run, you've got a long run of innovation and potential surprises coming. So, you know, at $240, 50% off the 52-week high from August, yeah, absolutely, I want to trade this one. All right, next up, Ford up 136% this year. Grasso, trade it or fade it? Trade it. This one's an easy one. Uh, They've been innovative, and they're moving towards uh, the EV space like no other time in history. Uh, Jim Farley has done an excellent job leading that path and making it relatable, exciting. And you know the Ford F-150 Lightning, Frank? You could reverse that charge and power your house for a few days that 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 takes the need out of a generator for the for the house as well this one is an easy one for me it's not losing momentum the last three months the stock has been on fire it's a trade following trading or fading i'm fading it and uh you know i have to admit stevie g uh. makes a lot of good points there and i'm sprinkling a bit of a, a would you rather but when i look at some of the comps 
And, and keep in mind, the EV space has justified the multiples as they make that transition there. But when I look at Ford and I look at the debt valuation, the return on equity, I just see other places where I can deploy capital, get similar type of exposure, and probably get a little bit more bang for my buck. So I'm fading this one. There you go. Next up, NVIDIA, the chip stock, storing 133% this year. BK, turning back to you, trade it or fade it? Yeah, I'm going to go contrarian on this one. As much as I have loved NVIDIA this year, I think it's time to fade it. And here's why. Let's take a look at valuation. Off the charts, right? You know, 70 times next year's earnings in a rising interest rate environment, that's not going to be great. Secondarily, we already know what this company does, and I do think it's got a long runway there, but I'm not Lewis and Clark. I'm not discovering new ground, and nobody (laughs) else is. So absent any type of new product here, i got to fade it. All right, Bonowin, trader fade NVIDIA. Uh, I'm trading this one. Um, and again, tipping my cap to the uh, fundamental analysis there. It is expensive, but I think it's, it's justified. Strong free cash flow, balance sheet, expanding margins. And the Lewis and Clark is the NFT. It's the metaverse. This is going to be at the center of that whole infrastructure build out. And I want that exposure. So I'm going to trade it. We're keeping this Lewis and Clark thing going, huh? All right, finally, Alcoa, more than doubling in 21. Stevie G, you trading or fading? Oh, man. I, you know, th- this one was, I, I, I guess you can get on the bandwagon here. It's going to be a fade for me. And, you know, Guy Dami uh, likes to look at charts as much as I do. <clears throat> and this one, if you go back to 2018, this is a textbook double top. This one got all absorbed up in that reflation trade. And I know JP Morgan is way bold up on this. But I think the target is moving on them. I think, I think that stock price is going to come in uh, in the next couple of months. Guy, you got the last one. Trade it, fade it. I'll trade it, and I'll say everybody talks about Lewis and Clark. People forget that Sacagawea was re- basically running that show, and that's what's going on with Alcoa. Nobody's talking about it. They should. Remember Alcoa's fantastic finishes? Well, it's going to be a fantastic finish to this year and the beginning of next year. I know what Steve is saying, but... You know, they have some pension liabilities that have been able to get off their balance sheet in a really elegant way. And I think the stock makes a lot of sense. I've liked it all year. I'll continue to like it into 2022. Trade it. Wow. Quite possibly the first Sacagawea <laughs> reference in CNBC history. That history is made. All right, coming up, Bitcoin getting better. The cryptocurrency dropping hard today and erasing all of its gains from the past week. So our resident Bitcoin baller Brian Kelly serving up some under-the-radar crypto plays next. Plus, shares of American Eagle, well off the highs of the year, but options traders, they're betting on a turnaround for this retailer. We've got all the details coming up. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. All right, welcome back. Check out the action in Bitcoin, down more than 7% right now, holding well below that key 50,000 mark. And as the hype around the metaverse gains momentum, our trader BK says... There are other ways to play the crypto space. Let's turn to BK right now. BK, I was actually just watching Matrix. Was it Revolutions last night? A lot of metaverse talk out there. Mm. Yeah, right. A lot of metaverse. I mean, the metaverse is not necessarily anything new, but it is starting to catch on, particularly with Facebook changing their name over to Meta. But what you have to remember is that Bitcoin is trading separately from a lot of these other names out there. So there's kind of three that I've been looking at. It's three that I've been long for a while now. Uh, And they are in the kind of the gaming space as well as the virtual world space. So number one is Axie Infinity. This is a game, pay to pay, uh, I'm sorry, play to pay. 
and really came on the scene this year like gangbusters. And it's all about network effect. As long as this game continues to grow, the value of the underlying currency will grow with that network. The other one uh, is going to be Sandbox, S-A-N-D. That's another cryptocurrency. Again, in the gaming space. And as that network grows, the currency will tend to grow with it to service the underlying economy. And then the last one is a virtual world. A lot more of what we think about when we talk about the metaverse, and that's Decentraland. So in Decentraland, you can buy real estate, you can buy shop fronts, you can do a lot of different things virtually. Uh, and the currency of that virtual world is MANA, M-A-N-A. And again, about network effect. Just like as Facebook grew, the price of Facebook stock grew, as these networks grow and these virtual worlds grow, the underlying currency needs to grow to service that underlying economy. And that's why I like these three. So BK, I just want to make sure I understand. Axie Infinity and Sandbox, these are, these are games with a cryptocurrency tied to them? That's right. So, so in, in the example of you know, Axie Infinity, you play the game and you earn that currency. And then that currency is traded just like any other currency in the world. And you look at somebody, there's a lot of people in the Philippines that are now playing this game, earning the currency, and making more money by playing this game uh, in a year than they do on, as an actual job. Um, so that is really where a lot of this growth has come from. DBG, you just confused as I am how a game makes money. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to grasp the whole metaverse here. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think BK is, is about two months away from growing a Jack Dorsey bid, uh, beard and going off the grid uh, in the Philippines, quite frankly. But, but I, do, I, do like the, I do like the way he thinks. He was, kudos to him, he was way ahead of, uh, on Bitcoin. He was definitely the explorer on that one. So, yes, I am confused, Frank, and I think that's what keeps people uh, a little offset. But the biggest thing that has the best thing that's happened to uh, cryptocurrencies are NFTs and these games that BK is talking about, because right now it makes uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum look really, really understandable to someone like you and I. Man, kids have it too good nowadays. You can literally tell your mom you're, you're making money playing video games. Like imagine a world where that happens. All right, speaking of crypto, don't miss the CNBC special. Crypto Night in America, digging into the latest trends, themes, and the future for the crypto space. That's tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNBC. All right, coming up, we're going all American for options action, American Eagle. Getting some buzz in the options pits today, and we're digging into how traders see this retail name playing out. You are watching Fast Money. We're back in two. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Coming up at the top of the hour, a CNBC special, Your Money 2022. We're breaking down what's in store for your money in the new year. It's all coming up right here on CNBC. All right, meanwhile, check out American Eagle Outfitters outperforming some of the other major apparel names today. This stock, however, is down more than 30% from its highs for the year. But one options bull is making a big bet that American Eagle is about to fly much higher. Mike Coe joins us now to break down all the action. Hey there, Mike. Hi, Frank. How are you? So American Eagle, we saw more than six times the average daily call volume today. Most of that activity was concentrated in the January 14th weekly expiration, 24 and a half strike calls. We saw at least one institutional buyer, a block of over 4,600 contracts trading for just over a dollar and overall more than 8,500 all day at an average price of about a dollar 11. 
buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock can rally from the bounce that it has recently experienced. Why the 14th rather than regular way expiration on the 21st, which was also very active, by the way? Possibly the fact that the company is going to be presenting at a conference on January 11th. That might be the catalyst this trader is looking for. All right, Mike Co. great stuff as always. Let's go over to the traders. Bonham, I'm going to start with you. I actually haven't been in an American Eagle in a very long time. But in general, whether it's this stock or the broader retail landscape, how are you feeling about things going into 2022? Um, you know, I have less conviction about that as I do about this actual option trade. So I'd like to focus there. This at the money option with short term to maturity. I mean, this is this is textbook. I think I know something now. And, and I and I definitely want to tip my cap to the conviction there. But you're essentially playing at the money. So gamma, you're going to have massive theta bleed and you're playing for an upside move with with very limited time to, to expiration. So this is definitely an eye catcher. Stevie G, over to you. Um, Courtney Reagan was on earlier today talking about a lot of the retail names. Are you seeing strength going into 2022, or do you think we already bought all the stuff we want? I think, I think people still have money in their pockets. They're cash rich, and they have uh, an unlimited amount of places to spend it uh, at. But American Eagle specifically has a short interest above 12%. So we usually talk about a host of names that have that short interest that elevated at, at that level. This one has more than its peer group. So uh, to Bonowin's point, I think this options trader might be playing, I, I think I know something, but he's got a, a, lo- a lot of torque uh, to get him to the upside here. Interesting. You guys are really focused on this option trade. We we're trying to broad it out, but you guys really like that option trade. Interesting. All right, <laughs> for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. All right, up next, Fast Money. We got your final trade. Stay with us. All right, time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Stevie G. Y-O-U. I know I've been pounding the table on this one. It's up 25% in about 12 days. I think it's going up another 30%, and I have a lot of conviction like that options trader. The ice. If this two stands things really has teeth and the financial sell-off, I'd look at BX. BK. You know, for me, I'm going to look into the oil sector and ExxonMobil. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it reminds me of a, a tobacco stock, right? I got a high dividend and a product that people still need to use, so XOF. Wow, interesting correlation there. All right, Guy, you got the last word. I find the Kirkland brand works really well for me. Frank, you can shop anywhere you want because you look good in anything, my man. Tall and handsome. Wow. Vicious, vicious. <laughs> well done by you. And I'm going to throw Disney your way. You know why? Because I think the worst is over. DIS into the new year. I got to come back more often. Guys, you were great. Thank you. And thank you all for watching Fast Money. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.